Good evening, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to take a look at Winnipeg's mostly disappointing effort against the New York Rangers and kind of break it down step by step because there are a couple of different parts of this game that I really feel like the Jets did well, at least at the start, and then the rest of the game is kind of a hot mess. The first part of this game, the opening like 20 minutes or so, especially the first 10 minutes of this first period, were pretty good. The Jets looked aggressive, they were pretty fast, they were using their pace to get in behind the the Rangers' defense, they made the Rangers take some undisciplined penalties, there were some really bad defensive uh, lapses from the Rangers' blue line. I felt like the Jets were actually creating a lot of pressure and getting into uh, New York's head a bit. Like the Jets, the Rangers have been playing more respectable hockey as of late, but the, the Rangers' defense and forward units are still the same team. It's just that they're functioning a little bit better than usual. That said, with the way that the Jets have been playing as of late, I felt like Winnipeg would be, you know, a more superior squad in this respect, and the Jets actually showed up and looked to be the better team like I anticipated, and I felt like Winnipeg was really overdue for a goal here. Instead, though, the Jets kind of deflated a bit after Sami Niku got burned on uh, a pretty bad, almost breakaway from Chris Kreider, and it was sort of the top line not really having a clear play and a, a bad pinch along the wall, and then Niku not having the gap control and getting burned by Kreider off the neutral zone pass. For a jet squad that had controlled play for most of the first period, it totally sucked and just seemed to suck the wind out of this team very quickly. At the end of the first period, I felt like the Jets really hadn't done a whole lot. Uh, New York started to look more and more in control and started using um, their speedy four checks and counters to really give the Jets a lot of trouble. What sort of vanished for Winnipeg was their ability to penetrate New York's low-slot area, which is something that they didn't have any trouble with in the first 10 minutes. But after that goal against, Winnipeg seemed to shell up, and instead of chasing the lead and actually putting more pressure on the Rangers, Winnipeg almost seemed to collapse in on itself and really look uncomfortable, unsettled, and unable to really complete passes, to get uh, neutral zone and offensive zone breakouts, and to create any sort of offensive pressure on this Rangers defense. The Rangers, to their credit, managed to break out pretty cleanly and and create some pressure in the other direction. Not a whole lot, but enough that there were a few net front chances and low slot high danger opportunities that kind of came off of either bad misplays by the Jets defensemen or forwards, or just poor and sloppy coverage in general. I had hoped that maybe the Jets would wake up a bit more and start off the second period like they did in the first period, but instead the Jets continued to look even worse and more incompetent. Instead of expanding their game, Winnipeg kind of seemed to shell up yet again, which they've done many times a season, but, I mean, like this is the Rangers squad that really is contending more for a lotto pick than it is a playoff spot. The Rangers aren't lotto pick bad, but they're certainly not a good team, and they've been roughly at the same level of play as the Jets throughout the season. Although one might contend that the Rangers could arguably take the Jets in a series because New York seems to be more comfortable playing at speed and, and countering off of, uh, off of mistakes and scoring on those than the Jets are. New York again made... Winnipeg pay on another mistake, this time a bit of a silly hooking penalty from Gabriel Bork, and the Jets' PK is not exactly ideal. As we can tell from the past couple of seasons, 
the penalty kill has always been a problem for this team, and once again, you match it up against the 6th-ranked power play in the NHL, well, things aren't going to go well. I think an Artemi Panarin shot got through and rebounded off of Hellebuck, or actually, I think it was a Panarin pass to Anthony D'Angelo, and D'Angelo was parked on the right side. Hellebuck made the, like a miraculous, almost goal-line save with his toe pad, but then the, the puck rebounded out, and Chris Kreider was able to collect it and score um, because Hellebuck never had a chance to reset and get back into the net. The whole time this is going on, all four penalty killers are kind of drawing into towards the corner where Panarin was, leaving so many different shooting options available to the Rangers. And then Batetto was kind of just, I don't know, spinning around in a circle in front of Hellebuck, not really marking anyone in particular. So, you know, it's just kind of a comedy of errors. I felt like these first 40 minutes were really characterized by the fact that the top six unit just wasn't getting it done. I think the the first line with Line A, Shifley, and Connor really isn't functional. Um, line A tends to do a lot of the passing and distribution, and he tries to get himself in good positions, but I feel like Connor and Shifley just sort of play on autopilot sometimes. Everything should ideally be flowing through Shifley's stick, and yet too much of the play is not. And Connor just seems to kind of, I don't know, Connor is like a really gifted one-on-one matchup goal scorer, but as far as anything else is concerned, he really just doesn't seem to have a whole lot of ability to set up plays or get into soft spots where he's more likely to find somebody else for like a one-time or pass. We definitely know that like Connor won't pass to, to Line. I mean, he's got Pionk syndrome in this respect, although Connor is arguably worse because, you know, Pionk will at least make the pass attempt on the power play, even if it's really slow. Connor just kind of holds onto the puck and doesn't seem to really use any sort of spatial awareness to, to find his teammates. Shifley is less bad in this respect, but I feel like he's also a little bit one-dimensional right now. He's only shooting, and sometimes he'll make passes and try to set up plays, but generally speaking, I'm not impressed with the way that Shifley's playing right now. He looks a little too passive for my tastes, and that's a problem when Line is on your line and you really need to be feeding him instead of making him essentially be your power forward and playmaker. They keep taking away from the one thing that makes Line such a threat in this league, and it's really his booming shot. If he's the one setting everyone else up, then you're taking away one of the most prolific goal-scoring threats in the league, and that's kind of an issue if you want to make the most of that top six unit. Maurice then went to the line blender after things weren't working out and put Ehlers with, like, Bork and, I think, at one point, Shore, and then another time it was, like, Bork and, and Cop and Ehlers, and I just, I don't understand why you would do this. Ehlers is consistently our most effective even-strength transition player, and demoting him to, like, the bottom six isn't going to get you much value. Instead, you know, Harkins gets promoted up to the line with Wheeler and Appleton, and, like, I just don't understand why Maurice thinks that this is the solution. I feel like that second line, if it's struggling, is probably because Appleton is not really capable of keeping up skill-wise with his line mates. I think Harkins would be the natural sub there, so you'd have Harkins, Wheeler, and Ehlers essentially leading that, that middle top line unit. Instead, though, Ehlers is always the one who seems to get punished, like Line was last year, and I, I don't really understand what that's supposed to accomplish, because it's clear that this top six unit is not really functioning the way that it needs to. All we can hope for is that Little coming back along with Lowry kind of resets things and allows these lines to look a little more normal than they do right now. I've definitely seen enough of Gabriel Bork and Logan Shaw to last me a lifetime, let's be clear on that. If you were hoping for a resurgence in the last 20 minutes of this Jets game, you were probably more than a little disappointed by the fact that Winnipeg conceded two ugly goals 
within the first five or so minutes. In the first minute, Ryan Strom connected on a nice little backhand where the Jets' defense really didn't clear the puck out of the crease, and Hellebuck kind of got caught trying to cross and cover it, and the puck just sort of went between his pads and into the net. Pretty ugly, I mean, the defenders were just kind of standing around, and I think Shifley wasn't really marking anyone. This top line just doesn't defend at all, so not great. And then just a minute later or so, Connor Hellebuck tried playing the puck off the walls in his own end after the Jets kind of got uh, another defensive zone issue, and instead of the puck going out uh, along the sidewalls, it just went to a Rangers skater, and that skater passed to another Rangers forward who happened to be Mika Sabanajad, and Sabanajad did not miss. So just like that, Winnipeg was down 4 nothing, and yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to say. Winnipeg had been going on such a decent streak recently of solid, pretty decent play, and then they came out tonight, you know, looking looking decent again, and then for a solid 30 minutes kind of forgot how to play hockey. The Jets were, uh, well, <laughs> they were pretty bad. They looked more like they did in the, uh, the first half of the season, and I really don't know that there was anyone who stood out in particular in a particularly great way. I guess Ehlers scored a nice goal that was something of a deflection in front of uh, Igor Shesterkin. That's about the only real positive I can take out of this. Oh, Niku got an assist. That's fun. Niku ended up kind of getting promoted to the, the first pairing after Paul Marie started blundering all of the lines and units. But unfortunately, the Jets really didn't do a whole lot until the final moments of the game when it was too late. The Jets definitely put quite a few shot attempts on net, and Shesterkin was pretty busy throughout the entire game, but ultimately it just wasn't enough, and I feel like the Jets really kind of have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, what exactly happened in this game? They'd been playing very decent, uh, at least break-even average hockey over the past couple of weeks, and then as soon as, as soon as the Rangers scored in this game and took the early lead, Winnipeg just totally collapsed for the rest of the match until it was well past due and they couldn't really make up the difference in the scoreboard. Shisterkin was certainly good at times, but it was more, you know, the Jets weren't really generating any central slot offense in the areas of the of the uh, crease where they've been previously able to attack. They really didn't generate any offensive pressure. And for me, it's just puzzling after so many games of good quality play. You know, they were 4-0-1 and deservedly so. They'd actually earned most of those wins and they were cruising along as far as the, uh, the comeback into the playoff picture was concerned. And then tonight they got a bit humbled by the Rangers, which is funny because I don't think that the Rangers played particularly well either. I just feel like New York was a lot better at making mincemeat of Winnipeg's defensive liabilities and issues. I will say that uh, Igor Shesterkin was actually pretty good. I feel like he had a pretty scary moment early on when, for some reason, Tony D'Angelo pushed Andrew Kopp right into Shesterkin, and Kopp unintentionally caught Igor in the side of the head, and Igor looked a little bit shaken up, so I was pretty concerned that he needed to come out of the game and, and really just stay some time on the bench. He did go down the tunnel for some concussion protocol and then ended up coming back. I think Lundqvist played like six total minutes and had one save. Had the shutout for Shesterkin continued, uh, Lundqvist actually would have gotten credit for the win, which is a really weird stat. Ehlers scoring actually probably helped Igor out because then he becomes the goalie of record again, which is such a weird thing, I have to say. But ultimately, I think everyone can agree that Igor definitely earned the uh, the victory for the Rangers. As far as the lowlights are concerned, of which, unfortunately, there were quite a few tonight, despite the fact that there were stretches of good play, I have to call out Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, and some of the veteran players who just didn't really seem to be doing all that much for this team. 
The top line in particular is getting very frustrating for me to watch, and I feel like Liney is the one who's trying to create all the space and set up his line mates and teammates, but he's not really getting any reciprocation from his teammates. We all know that Shifley can be a dominant two-way offensive beast, but over this past couple of seasons, he's become a lot more one-dimensional. He's really trying to finish more opportunities rather than set up his line mates. This is especially troublesome to me because I think Shifley's best asset is his ability to create for his teammates and allow them to take center stage as far as goal scoring is concerned because then he can find those soft spots in coverage and find the nice little goals that are um, a signature of his ability to infiltrate defensive coverages very easily. As it is right now, the Jets basically have a first line of all shooters, and even though Line a is kind of becoming more of a playmaker, that's not really the best way to use him. I feel like you need to have Shifley with maybe Ehlers and, I don't know, you could you could keep trying Line a on that right wing, but I don't think that that's the most sensible option. Maybe like Roslovic, I guess? I'm not really sure who takes that right wing finishing spot, because it, it, to me, it just doesn't seem like Shifley and Liney really have all that much chemistry. Connor definitely needs to get knocked down a couple of lines because I feel like Connor doesn't handle not having a playmaking center, you know, somebody who can create four checking space and set him up. Shifley used to do a lot more of that, but now that he's kind of reverting to more of a, a one dimensional attacker, I feel like Kyle Connor's skill sets are even. Uh, more wasted and his defensive deficiencies start to become a lot more noticeable. This is where someone like Andrew Kopp makes a lot of sense. I feel like if you had Connor Kopp and, and someone like maybe Harkins on that flank, I think you would have a much more successful unit. Uh, Kopp tends to create a lot of space with his aggressive forechecking and increasingly his deft hands that he's been using to set up some of his teammates for excellent goals and opportunities. I mean, we've already seen Kopp and Connor work well together on the PK. I feel like you can probably get something decent at even strength, too, if you pair those two guys up. Really, I just think you need to think about giving Andrew Kopp second-line center time, if nothing else because the other options aren't working out right now. Wheeler has been doing his best, and he's not really bad or anything. I, I just don't think that he's able to create as much offense as he used to be, and so that line is not really working either, and when the first line is struggling, it all comes down to your third line to be your scoring line. That is a, a suboptimal situation to be in, and I feel like Winnipeg needs to do some retooling. So in just a moment, we're going to take a look at some of the options for how Winnipeg might rearrange this team and get them back on track again. Starting from the top line, and, and we're going to assume in this case that both Lowry and uh, Little are back in the lineup, but starting from the first line, I think Ehlers, Shifley, and Little could make a, a decent top line. I don't love... Shifley and Little together just because I feel like, I don't know, Little is getting older and his defensive impact has definitely gone down and with Shifley seemingly taking defensive duties off all the time now, I'm not really sure if that combo works all that well. But for now, let's just assume that Ehlers is able to carry most of the load and that's that's kind of what we're going to go with for now. I think Little is going to be a decent shooter flanking Shifley's passing and apparently shooting nowadays. Ehlers can do all of the space creation and setup play, so I don't really worry about that. I do worry if that line kind of gets caved defensively just because Ehlers is going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting on his own, and I feel like that's not really the most ideal situation. On the second line, I feel like Perot, Kopp, and Line might do pretty well together. Kopp, I think, is kind of becoming a closet second-line center, and he would be pretty good alongside Perot and Line. Perot has definitely declined over the past couple of seasons, but he can still be a crafty, elusive forward with pretty skilled hands. 
And having two guys who are more playmaking and space-making focused would give Liney a lot more opportunities to to find soft spaces in coverage and shoot because right now on the top line, he's not having many of those opportunities where I think either of his teammates have found him in good spots. I'd need to see it a little bit in action, but in, in previous times, Perot and Liney have been a good combo together, so I feel like if you had Cop, who's been one of our most effective centers down the middle, uh, especially in offensive chance creation, I think you're going to get pretty decent results. Your third line, I might try Connor, Lowry, and Harkins. I think Lowry's able to do a lot of the defensive duties that Connor really isn't capable of. And Janssen Harkins has shown a, enough two-way acumen that I feel like I can trust him to also assist Lowry when Connor's kind of off doing whatever. Harkins is also a bit of a, a physical player, especially in the offensive zone, and he has pretty deft hands. I think both of those guys feeding Connor, or at least creating space enough for Connor to find those one-on-one matchups a little more frequently, would lead to better results and give Connor less defensive issues because he won't have to do as much heavy lifting. I say heavy lifting, but Connor doesn't really do any defensive work, period, so at this point it's more of just mitigating his own impact on the uh, on the defensive issues that the Jets have. I think on the fourth line, uh, Chibisov, Shore, and Roslovic should be able to do pretty decent work. Um, I like what Shore has done. Shore has actually done quite a bit as far as uh, medium skill level high effort plays where he's able to keep zone possession time alive he also has a pretty decent passing repertoire i think his vision and distribution are a little bit underrated so if you give him somebody like roslovic who's a pretty decent finisher and chibisov who's able to just kind of muscle his way in towards the net and create offense that way i think you have a pretty decent fourth line that can reasonably be trusted to do some defensive work roslovic won't really defend but Shore and Jibisov might be at least a bit more capable of doing that. Shore is definitely a defensive two-way center, so in that respect, I really don't have any concerns. Jibisov and Roslovic might not have great defensive impacts, but they should surely be better than Bork and Shaw, who just kind of um, unfortunately don't create a whole lot either either side of the ice. I think that uh, Maurice likes them because they have a lot of energy and they hit stuff, but neither Shaw nor Bork are really capable of actually playing at the NHL level. The defensive arrangements are going to be a little bit less ideal. I think uh, Morrissey, Pionk, Kulikov, Niku, and Dostrom you should be the pairings, but I don't really know that all of that's going to make that much of a difference. Morrissey is really struggling recently, so I, I guess Morrissey, Pionk would be fine. I mean, eh, it's kind of trying to paper over obvious mistakes in this team's composition right now, but there's not a whole lot else that we can do. So Morrissey, Pionk, let's call that the tentative first pairing. Kulikov Niku should be fine. I mean, Kulikov has shown that, defensively speaking, he's a little bit better than he's been in past seasons. Niku is uh, very high risk, high reward, and I feel like he's, you know, uh, in tonight's game, he definitely got exposed a lot more by the Rangers, but that's partially because the rest of the team wasn't doing a whole lot either. Niku definitely trades defense for offense, and that's just going to be a trade-off that you have to come to expect with him. I think as his game continues to mature at this level, hopefully he learns a little bit more about how to use body positioning and, and seal off opponents, but if he doesn't, then he might have to get you know, relegated more towards third-pairing minutes. On the third pairing, I guess Dahlstrom Pullman for a little bit of uh, zone entry denial and at least puck carrying ability and transition ability. Neither Dahlstrom or Pullman are particularly good, but I think in limited minutes that's a fine fine enough third pairing. It'll at least be better than Sabisa and Boteto. Bolu, I guess you could also sub in for Pullman if you really feel like it, but at this point I feel like it's all a wash between these four different guys who are, in my opinion, all kind of bad in some capacity. None of them really moves the needle for me, so... You know, I'm just going to have to shrug my shoulders and say, well, whatever. Uh, Just kind of go with what you got and and hope for the best, really. Hope your forwards are able to carry the rest of the offensive load. 
As the arrangements are right now, though, I feel like Winnipeg is is in danger of running into some issues if they can't figure out ways to create offense a little bit more consistently. I thought that they might be able to rebound in tonight's game, but it just seems like everything kind of conspired against them, and with Line hitting a couple of posts and not really able to uh, to connect as frequently as he'd like, I feel like the Jets just don't seem to have a clear and present danger as far as shooting talent goes. A bit strange when you're a team with this much firepower as the Jets are, but unfortunately they just haven't made the best use of any of that shooting talent right now. Uh, But for now, that does it for tonight's episode. Tomorrow, be sure to look out for a brief look at uh, Winnipeg's past trade deadline exploits and and stuff that they've done either mid-season or during the off-season when they need to have some roster shakeups to give us a little bit more of a clearer picture about what the Jets might do in the next couple of weeks. As always, thanks again for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.